Our first reading this morning is from Lamentations 5, 1 to 22. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to aliens. We have become orphans, fatherless, our mothers like widows. We must pay for the water we drink, the wood we get must be bought. With a yoke on our necks, we are hard driven. We are weary, we are given no rest. We have made a pact with Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned, they are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is no one to deliver us from their land. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is black as an oven from the scorching heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, virgins in the town of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are sick. Because of these things, our eyes have grown dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why have you forgotten us completely? Why have you forsaken us these many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not stay awake with me one hour. Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, 
my betrayer is at hand. Thank you, Graham. I've just taken a cheeky sneak at the uh, clock up there to make sure I don't waffle on for too long. And uh, it says 25 past 10. So by my reckoning, I've got about an hour and 20 minutes to talk to you. Is that okay? Good. Um, seriously, throw something at me if I do waffle on for too long. But uh, just a mental note, that clock needs to be changed. How's your week been? Good? Bad? I visited my grandmother in the nursing home that she's in this past week. Um, and both my dad and, my, uh, and I asked her, how she's, how's her week been? How's she been doing? And her response, as it always is at this point in her life, is fair to middling. Um, she's not a well woman, uh, but has this sense of stoic Britishness, perhaps, or stoic martyrness, perhaps, that suggests anything other than suggesting that you're fine is not an okay thing to say. Honesty within our culture is, is hard. Um, when someone asks how you are, the average, the average answer tends to be fine, how are you, or I'm good, how are you doing, to the point where there's a lot of jokes around this idea of going to the doctors, and the doctor says, so tell me, what's going on, how are you doing, and the person turns around again and says, I'm fine, how are you, even though they've gone to the doctor to seek help. I follow an account on Twitter, um, which is called Very British Problems, um, and I'm just going to read you a couple of those tweets now. Um, because I think they kind of highlight this. So, very British problems. Words that mean, well, that's ruined then. Great. Marvelous. Perfect. Brilliant. Good. Fantastic. And excellent. So, words that technically should be good things have been co-opted to mean something negative. Another one. Feel a bit rough, actually. Translation, I feel like my head's been kicked in by a horse. And we often do that. When asked how we're really doing, for whatever reason, we don't feel that we can be honest. We don't feel that we can say, actually, you know what, I've had a bit of a naff week. I feel like my head's been kicked in by a horse. A couple of things that we were mentioned during our time together when we were praying is that the days are longer now, the, the, it's light, the birds are singing, uh, and that tends to fill us with hope tends to make everything a little bit better, makes it easier to get up in the mornings, because if your alarm goes off at an obscene hour of the day, it's hopefully getting light at that time. And it also means that if you're working, by the end of the day, you've still got a few hours left to then go out and enjoy the sunshine. It's also the time of year, I think probably one of the only times of year, that those who prefer winter and colder and not hot temperatures, and those who love summer, like myself, and the scorching heat, actually can find compromise. And I say, well, actually, this is the time of year we can all kind of agree is a good thing because it's sunny and it's not too hot, but it's hot enough, so we're all okay. But even though it's sunny and it's, the weather, the, the days are longer, the, it's brighter, it's, I think, trying to be sunny out there right now, we've noticed perhaps in the newspapers and online and uh, on our TV screens and on the radio that over the course of the past week especially, but the last few months, perhaps even the last few years, our news feeds have been filled with less than positive news. For many of us, the decision to trigger Article 50 earlier this week was one of sorrow. It was one of grief. For many of us, it was something that was good news, actually, and it's something that we voted for democratically, and it's what we wanted. But yet still, we're uncertain about where the future lies for our country. 
There have been countless news stories of children in the past week, too many to, to list, who have been abused, both here in the UK and abroad. There have been countless stories of natural disasters. There have been countless stories of Donald Trump and his administration. The news has been filled with lament. The news is actually very good at lament. It might not always be true, but it's very good at lamenting. And we are drawing to a close, some of you may be wonderfully happy to hear, of our period of focusing on the Book of Lamentations. And I admit, I really struggled when trying to figure out what on earth I was going to say to you today. We've had four weeks of it up until this point. What, how is there anything new that I could offer on the, on the process of lamenting, on the Book of Lamentations? I spent some time reworking uh, what I wanted to say today on Friday afternoon, and I found myself spiraling into despair. I was reading this series of verses which were awful. There seems to be no hope whatsoever. And if you've been in the service, uh, services for the past few weeks, we've had that time and time again. There's been lament over and over again. In our working lives, there is lament. In our personal lives, there is lament. In the news, there is lament. It seems unending. And so I sat there listening to Disney songs whilst I, whilst I reread this passage because I, it was just too much. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't sit and read and despair. I, I couldn't do it anymore. It struck me whilst reading it and listening to Disney songs because I'd just seen the new Beauty and the Beast, so that's why that was in my head. But I, I sat there and I read this passage, these 22 chapters at the end of a book that many of us probably have never read all the way through before. And as I sat there, I, I realized that perhaps this is a prayer. Perhaps, maybe not all of the Book of Lamentations, but specifically chapter 5 is a prayer. The alarming thing is, this prayer doesn't seem to be listened to. Which, of course caused me to panic even more. But it also reminded me of another prayer that we think goes unanswered. And it's a little bit unusual to um, read from that particular passage of Matthew uh, a week or two weeks, rather, before Good Friday. But it is that scene where Jesus is in the garden, or Gethsemane. Interesting, useless fact for you all. It wouldn't have been the garden of Gethsemane. It would either have been the garden or Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a different place. Around a bit of trivia for you, just in case you ever need that one. But when this passage reminded me of Jesus' pleas, his questioning, his asking God, are you really there? Are you listening to me? And as we draw closer to Easter and as Lent ends, we will be reminded on, on the cross of that language of why have you forsaken me? Where on earth are you? I think perhaps sometimes we can romanticize this struggle. We can make it easier because we listen to it time and time again and it just becomes part of our practice. Jesus is born, Jesus, is di Jesus dies, brilliant. And especially because Jesus, although laments and although struggles and although says some things that we think, oh, that's not like Jesus, it's, still, it's quite short. It's 10 verses in Matthew. It's quick and done and God, it's in your hands. I want to read to you from uh, a book by uh, a chap called Philip Pullman. Some of you uh, may be aware of him. He is not a Christian. Um, 
and he has written a book called The Good Man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ. If you are of a sensitive disposition, I wouldn't recommend reading this because he insinuates or perhaps blatantly suggests that Jesus was actually a twin and he was Jesus and then his twin was called Christ. Um, It's a little bit uh, embellished, but he spends a lot of time focusing on the suffering of Christ in the garden. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the book. And it really focuses on this lament. You're not listening, he whispered. I've been speaking to you all my life, and all I've heard back is silence. Where are you? Are you out there among the stars? Is that it? Busy making another world, perhaps because you're sick of this one? You've gone away, haven't you? You've abandoned us. You're making a liar out of me. You realize that? I don't want to tell lies. I try to tell the truth. But I tell them you're a loving father, watching over them all, and you're not. You're blind as well as deaf, as far as I can tell. You can't see, or you just don't want to look. Which is it? No answer. Not interested. This is all I can do now. Whisper into the silence. How much longer will I even feel like doing that? You're not there. You've never heard me. I'd do better to talk to a tree, to talk to a dog, an owl, a little grasshopper. They'll always be there. I'm with the fool in the psalm. You taught we could get on without you. No, you didn't care whether we got on without you or not. You just got up and left. So that's what we're doing. We're getting on. I'm part of the world and I love every grain of sand and blade of grass and drop of blood in it. There might as well not be anything else because these things to gladden the heart and calm the spirit and we know they delight the body. Body and spirit, is there a difference? Where does one end and the other begin? Aren't they the same thing? And then he closes with, and let the silence talk to itself. Now that's a very human understanding of Jesus' pain and Jesus' suffering. And it ties in with much of the writings that actually we see in in the book of Lamentations. That passionate, that angry, that, that... burning sense of where, what, what is happening? What is going on? It's also something that we see very regularly in popular culture. It's something that comes across in music, in film, in art. Perhaps these are easier ways of expressing something that we feel uncomfortable in sharing ourselves. We feel unable to declare. Perhaps the gospel writer did not want to write the true extent of lament because it makes us uncomfortable. We fear it. We don't know what to do with it. The fact that we joke about a series on lamentations is because we're scared of embracing the lament. I'm gonna show you a a brief clip from a series called The West Wing. Um, It does have one slight rude word in it, which I apologize for, but often lament isn't polite and often lament doesn't accommodate polite and sensible society. It is uh, just after a funeral, um, and the president uh, is lamenting. It was a beautiful service, I thought. I thought it was a beautiful service. Yeah. She was a real dame, old friend, a real broad. Yeah. 
We've got to go back to the office now, sir. Yeah. We've got some decisions to make now. Leo, would you do me a favor? Yeah. Would you ask the agents to seal the cathedral for a minute? You're a son of a bitch, you know that? She bought her first new car and you hit her with a drunk driver. What? Was that supposed to be funny? You can't conceive, nor can I, of the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God, says Graham Greene. I don't know whose ass he was kissing there, because I think you're just vindictive. What was Josh Lyman? A warning shot? That was my son. What did I ever do to yours but praise his glory and praise his name? There's a tropical storm that's gaining speed and power. They say we haven't had a storm this bad since you took out that tender ship of mine in the North Atlantic last year. 68 crew. You know what a tender ship does? Fixes the other ships. Doesn't even carry guns. Just goes around, fixes the other ships, and delivers the mail. That's all it can do. Gracias, Tibiago Domine. Yes, I lied. It was a sin. I've committed many sins. Have I displeased you, you feckless thug? 3.8 million new jobs. That wasn't good. <laughs> Bailed out Mexico. Increased foreign trade. 30 million new acres of land for conservation. Put Mendoza on the bench. We're not fighting a war. I've raised three children. That's not enough to buy me out of the doghouse. Hey, Kratom, Adeo Pio. Adeo Justo. Adeo Shito. Cruciatos in Crucia. Tuis in terra servos nuntias fui. Officium perfecce. Cruciatos in Crucia. Eos in Crucia. Get horns. It's a fairly brutal scene, um, and if you struggle to read the subtitles, then if you fancy looking at it afterwards, it's just the West Wing, the two cathedrals. Um, and that's what will pop up straight away because it's a, a popular scene. It, it, it strikes, it, it hits hard that the president of the United States, the biggest superpower there ever was, can feel that weak and that hurt and that broken. To the point where he, in the series, he's portrayed as a de devout Catholic and he tries to balance his faith with his political career to the point where he is willing to call God a feckless thug. It's, it, it, it's hard to watch people lament. People we care about, people who should be in authority that should be guiding us to safety. 
perhaps if we turned it on, his, on its head and looked at it as a process of prayer, a process in which we are unable, or rather we are able to speak the unspeakable. Jesus, in Philip Pullman's version of the gospel story, and Jesus, in the gospel narratives, took time to pray, took time to struggle, took time to wrestle with all that seemed insurmountable, with all that seemed to break him, which all that caused him to lament. President Jed Bartlett, whether he likes it or not, was praying in that moment, was crying out, was seeking something, someone to help him in his lament. That honesty of prayer. And then perhaps if we look at the fifth chapter in Lamentations a different way and we look at it as a prayer, and we look at it as crying out in despair, hoping that someone, anything, is listening. To allow me to try and get to grips with this particular passage of Lamentations, I rewrote it. And I'll encourage you to grab your Bibles um, if you want to read along from, again, from the passage that we had today from cha uh, chapters 1 to 20, sorry, verses 1 to 22 of chapter 5. It's a lament for where we are now. Can you see us, God? Can you see what is happening around us? Look and see the mess we've made of your world. We've abused, assaulted, and attacked your creation. Mined the ground, poisoned the soil, the water, the air. We fatten livestock for the already well-fattened, and we pillage the land of those wasting away. Our inheritance has been co-opted. Politicians and the historical elite hide in shadows as strangers, selling the homes, the identities, the self-worth of those not born into power. Our homes have been turned over to aliens, not the immigrants or the refugees whom we're told are the enemy, but the, the giants of corporatism and greed. We neglect our orphans, our widows, and our widowers, we fail to support those in need with a fair distribution of wealth and welfare. Those who sleep rough remain without a shelter above their heads. Those who sleep on plush pillows buy yet more shelter to protect their wealth. We have learned to pay for everything we need, commoditizing even the most basic of essentials to live. Millions waste water, not counting the cost, while millions more thirst. Elderly spend winters freezing in their own homes during the winter months. The cost of heating, too much to bear. We are tired. We are driven to unending deadlines and yoked to wanting more now. We are given no rest, no chance to stop the forward motion, no chance to get off. We make arms deals to feather our own nests, exporting weapons to those we know who will use them for harm, for greed for empire building. We have made a pact with those like Saudi Arabia and the United States of America and Germany to keep ourselves safe. We bear the sins of the 20th century, the divisions, the conflicts, and the repercussions that followed, the decision makers of that time slowly fading into history, the aftermath of their iniquities repeating today, time and time again. Those enslaved to capitalism, to power, to greed. They rule over us. There is no one to save us from this cycle, from this norm, from
from their hands. We get what we need and all that we don't at the peril of our mental health and our physical well-being because we are driven by the fear of being left behind, left out, abandoned. The wilderness is a scary place and we do all that we can to avoid it. Famine scorches the land and burns up the bodies of those unable to feed or be fed. Like fire, it taints not only those who have been burned, but those who witness the burning, those who do nothing to put out the flames. Women are assaulted in places of sanctuary where they should be safe. Women of color, trans women, mothers, daughters, women of every nation remain topics of discussion, subjects to be subjugated, their gender and identity exploited and used to exploit. Princes of literature, music, justice, art, faith, have their hands bound, restricting their passion and all that we can learn from it. Those who have gone before us, our elders, are ignored, ignored, mocked, locked away. Zero-hour contracts force grinding labor on those who have no other option. Those who are young face prospects of unemployment or a lifetime of work they derive no enjoyment, no passion from. Those who are long since trusted to remind us of where we have been are no longer listened to. Those who creatively look to the future are forced to keep quiet by the struggles they daily carry. The joy we find in the sharing of the words closest to our hearts, stilled as a freedom of movement long celebrated, becomes something feared, scorned, and rejected, our dancing turning to mourning. We are now crownless, the once jewel of creation fallen into the same sin we repeat throughout time the sin of removing ourselves from the divine. Our hearts are afflicted because of all of this. We can't see the world for what it really is through our dimmed eyes. We have become narrow, cold and resentful. The garden has been left desolate, jackals picking at the remains of what was once pure and delightful. But our God, you are with us forever. We must remind ourselves that you endure. You endure through it all and for us all. It seems that you have forgotten us completely. Do I need to read through that list again? How can it be that you have forsaken us in so many ways when all we've ever been taught is that you are of love, pure love? Let us then focus in prayer and seek you because we know that you can restore us, not by waving a magic wand, but by journeying with us through the pain of restoration. Renew us as we seek to renew the world around us. Change us as we hope to bring change. Have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry beyond measure? We choose to look to the cross at times such as these. Your pain, your suffering, your choice. You have not utterly rejected us. You are not angry beyond measure. Amen.